pastor. And so I've asked in both services so far, and I'm going to ask in this one, is there anybody here from Woodland Hills? Yep, nobody. Oh, you're not from Woodland Hills, are you? Well, welcome. We're glad you're there. You're the first groupie we've had here all day. Nobody, no loyalty at Woodland Hills. That's what I've learned more than anything. So uh, I just want to tell you, 1130, you are our favorite service. Let's hear it for 1130. You're the best service. It feels kind of unplugged, and I love it. So, uh, and you can amen this statement if it's true for you. As a church, I'm not saying country or culture, as a church, I've noticed in the last few years that we lack resilience. Resilience, that ability to withstand or bounce back from difficult situations or difficult circumstances. Today, I want to talk about what it looks like to withstand or bounce back from difficult conversations. And maybe you've had one of these three scenarios play out in your life. You go to a family gathering, you're talking to a family member, and they tell you that they just quit their job. You're like, that's a pretty big deal. Tell me what happened. They tell you what happened, and after they tell you, you're like, that's not that big of a deal. You go to school here in a few weeks, and you talk to a friend who says they've ended a friendship with one of your other friends, and you're like, wow, ending a friendship. You guys have been friends for a long time. What, what, what was said that caused you to end a friendship? That's got to be a big deal. They tell you, and at the end of telling you, they're like, you're like, that ain't no big deal. One that's closer to home for me, someone leaves the church. Now, I want you to hear, there are good reasons to end a friendship. There are good reasons to quit a job. But what I'm talking about are those trivial, easily offended moments that a lot of us find ourselves in today. And, and you'll talk to somebody who leaves their faith community. Man, you went to that church for 10 years. There could be good reasons to leave a church, but man, what happened? And they tell you what happened, and you're like, that's no big deal. Where is the resilience to standing up or bouncing back from a difficult situation or a difficult conversation. Uh, I am one dad who loves that I got to raise a boy and a girl, because I'm a dad who believes in the created differences between male and female, and it plays out in our home all the time. Both of my kids are grown now, taking my son to college in two weeks, and we will officially be empty nesters. But as we sang the song today, which has been an anthem for me in my life and in my family, uh, Jesus for my family, I speak the name of Jesus, the holy name of Jesus. And I love speaking blessing over my children. And when I speak a blessing, even in a text message to my daughter, Corinne, who's with me today, I'll get up in the morning and text her, I love you, Corinne, I'm grateful for you. Uh, God has gifted you. He has big plans for your future, and I'm glad I get to be a part of it. Within minutes, I get back a text message from Corinne that says, I love you, Daddy. You're the best. You're always cheering me on. Thank you. And it just goes on and on and on. I can send the exact same text to my son. And you know what I get back? No words. No words. My daughter's favorite word is presh. My son's favorite word is wholesome. If I get a word back from him, and he'll just say, Dad, that was wholesome. Thank you. <laughs> but here's what we're talking about today, follower of Jesus. If you have been redeemed, you are born again, okay, you should be life-giving in your conversations. 
People should walk away from talking with you going, that was super helpful. That was encouraging. That benefits me greatly. That's life giving. And it's not always in the form of a blessing or speaking honor over someone, but it's just in the way we carry ourselves sometimes in conversation. And today we're going to talk about when you're invited into, not necessarily if you ever initiate one, because we don't want to initiate quarrels, but when we're invited into a heated conversation, let's talk about how to keep a cool head in a heated conversation. And whether or not you're going to be a thermometer or a thermostat in your next conversation. Because when the temperature starts to rise, are you one that through your words and through your tone, through your timing, you can bring the temperature of that conversation down? I want a cool head in a heated conversation. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.29. We learned this verse in youth group growing up. And I grew up independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version, only Baptist. And this was the verse to keep us from cussing or telling coarse jokes. But can I tell you, this verse is far more than that. It is a guide for our conversation. And maybe you've heard the three questions you need to ask yourself before you speak to someone. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Some attribute it to Socrates, some to Plato, but I'm here to tell you, Paul gives us a better framework for our conversations. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful what is for building others up according to their needs. Do you have anyone in your life that when the phone rings and you see it, you're like, oh, they're going to need something. That, that, that's the only reason they call. They never call and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. Do you need anything? How can I help you? I pastor in Branson where we have a lot of shows and attractions. I get calls all the time from tourist friends. And I'll answer the phone and go, hey, buddy, you in town? Yeah. Hey, who do we know at the Clay Cooper Theater? And I'm like, obviously, we know no one. <laughs> but I do. But they're looking at that. They're needing something. When's the last time you entered into a conversation? You picked up the phone. The Lord prompts someone for you to pray for, and you begin praying for them. Don't let it stop at just prayer. Like, pick up the phone and find out, why was I just prompted to pray for you? Is there anything you need? Is there any way that I can help that it may benefit those who listen? So instead of just, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Here's what Paul gives us an outline for questions to ask when we enter into conversation. Is it helpful? Am I going to be one that offers assistance to whatever this person's going through? You know, we're to carry one another's burdens. Each must carry their own load, but we are called to fulfill the law of Christ by carrying one another's burden. So I want to help. How can I help? Does what I'm about to share with you, does it build you up or does it tear you down? Okay, do they need it? And oftentimes they may need it, but they don't need it right now. We're going to talk about timing. My, my son always loved to ask me the deepest questions about life while we were checking through the TSA. And I'm like, this is a very important topic, but not right now. So sometimes, yeah, they need it. They just don't need it right now. And then the last one, who does it benefit? Two churches in a small town years ago got into a fight. Did anybody here grow up with a church that had a marquee sign where they put the letters out and they put sayings? Maybe it was service times, but a lot of times you pass by churches and it's highly offensive stuff. They're, like, they're letting people know this is exactly where we stand on an issue. Don't come in here unless you agree with us. We don't have a marquee. Y'all don't have a marquee. But these two churches did, and they started fighting with one another back and forth 
over the sign. And the Catholic Church simply put this up. All dogs go to heaven. I don't know what they were thinking that week and why they were going after dog owners, but uh, that's who they wanted to reach that week. The Presbyterians across the street, only humans go to heaven. Read the Bible. Well, that just opens up a conversation. We're just going to bring down the temperature. No, the Catholics respond with, God loves all his creations, dogs included. You think that shut down the Presbyterians? Nope. They responded with, dogs don't have souls. This is not open for debate. The Catholics, not letting them have the last word. Catholic dogs go to heaven. Presbyterian dogs can talk to their pastor. We have any Catholics in the room? Let me just see the hands of any Catholics. Far better sense of humor than the Presbyterians. I'm giving that to you right now. Presbyterians respond, converting to Catholicism does not magically grant your dog a soul. What was going on with the Presbyterians? Any Presbyterians in the room? Yeah, lighten up. Lighten up. The Catholics respond with, free dog souls with conversion. Are you ever in a conversation with someone, they always have to have the last word? And you're, and you're like, I, it drives me crazy because I want the last word. Well, they, they keep going. Dogs are animals. There aren't any rocks in heaven either. And the Catholics end it with, I think, one of the best church signs I've ever seen. All rocks go to heaven. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to tell you. The last, the last few years, I, I've never been invited into more heated conversations. Been in ministry almost 30 years, but the last three years have been the most invitations to heated conversations I've ever received. I, I will get a call at the church. I've received emails. What are we doing about Target? Like, I, I don't, what do you want me to do? Are you going to do a message on Target? I'm going to do a sermon on Target? They're like, we need to know where you stand. I go, you've been going to this church for 10 years. You know clearly. I've been very clear and very public about the fact of what I believe about gender, sexuality, and marriage. I hold nothing back on that, but I'm not going to change the message every week to the latest cancel culture or boycott or whatever's going on. I'm just not doing it. And people, <laughs> coming at you. And, and I, I had to go to Target. I, try, I don't... Target didn't really affect me very much, but it's where we picked up our prescriptions. And so one of our kids needed a prescription, so I went to get it a couple weeks ago, and uh, I walked in. It was empty. Like, Branson participated in the Target boycott in big ways. And I walked in. I saw a church member. I kind of felt like a Baptist in a liquor store. I was like, hey, I, we're not supposed to be in here right now. Uh, walking away. But then I found out, I think it was the Baptists that started the boycott because I found out they've emptied the store and that's where they go to buy their Bud Light. That's what's happening. <laughs> but no, I'm not. How many of you, uh, this is, if I did have a church sign, I would hire this guy from a Mexican restaurant in Texas because his signs are the absolute best. And he said, has anyone tried unplugging the United States and plugging it back in? <laughs> I've often thought about, what if I put a sign up in my yard so I didn't even have to talk to my neighbors? They just, every day of anything I'm feeling, I go put it out on a sign. I'd have this sign. I'd tell you exactly what sign I'd start with. It'd be this next one. The phrase, don't take this the wrong way, has a 0% success rate. And so today, God's word has so much to say about how you and I enter into and how we 
work ourselves through heated conversations. And if we're going to be people of wisdom, if we're going to be those with redeemed mouths, followers of Jesus should be lowering the temperature of conversations. And all of these go in order and all of these build on one another. There's seven altogether today. Number one, it starts with you. You are 100% responsible for the words that you bring into a conversation. Like, I was provoked. Like, they came out, they offended me, and I had to get the truth out there. Do your part for peace. We read in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, if it is possible, stop there, it's not always possible, right? There are good reasons to leave a church, there's good reasons to end a friendship, there's good reasons to quit a job. But what we're talking about today is that easily offended individual that has no resilience to be able to withstand or bounce back and not, as we talk about in boxing, right, take roll with the punches, Right And not, not be knocked out in every conversation that you enter into. If it is possible, it's not always possible. As far as it depends on you, your part, and your responsibility, live at peace with everyone. Do your part for peace. Be a peacemaker. One who goes into a heated conversation and says, how can I benefit, be helpful, not only in lowering the temperature, but growing closer in the relationship with this person? Number two, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on this one, patiently listen to the other point of view. You know that you can listen to someone's point of view without changing yours. You know that's possible. Do we have any golfers in the room? Dear friends there and there. Golfers, yeah, I love, I'm an amateur golfer. I don't even know if I put the word amateur in front of it. I go once a year, but amateur golfers, and I love golfing with my buddies because at the, on the green, you know, the ball's here, the cup's there, they hold the putter up. And they eye it up, and they got this point of view, and then they'll usually putt. But every now and then, one of my buddies thinks they're Rory, and they decide to walk over to the other side, because this is what pros do. Pros will go to the other side and see it from another angle, from another point of view. And before you and I speak, we take personal responsibility for what we're going to bring into the conversation. Before we speak, we look at it from another point of view. And I can do this without concern of it, of it changing a core belief or foundational truth that I hold dear from Scripture. I, I can do this. I can look at it from another point of view without changing mine. What does the Scripture say? Proverbs 14, 29. A patient man has great understanding. Listening, understanding, validating, empathizing with people, that takes time. And we need to do that before we open our mouths to share our point of view. A quick-tempered man displays folly, and Scripture says displays it all at once. It comes gushing out of them. Proverbs 18, 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. You know where I do this the most? I do it the most as a dad. When my kids would share with me, I would just get enough information to where I had a solution or I knew what needed, and I would shut them down because I had my mind made up. And a lot of times my kids just needed me to pause and listen. And guess what? If, if you're answering and cutting people off while you're trying to listen, you are not a person of understanding. That's why scripture says that is the way of a fool. Folly and shame. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. And some of you are saying, well, I can listen to people, but if you had a sign in your yard, I'm wondering if your sign might read like this. Of course your opinion matters, just not to me. I really wish we could get this as a country. 
I wish we could get it in the church. But to understand what listening really means, listening to you does not mean I agree with you. You know what listening says? You're important. I value you. You matter to me. And you're worth my time sitting here listening to your point of view. It's worth it. So I'm doing my part. I want to listen. But I want, we really need to get this next one. Disagreeing with you does not mean I hate you. It means I have a very different way of looking at this. And I'm not on board with you 100% in your opinions or feelings, but it doesn't keep me from wanting to listen. Healthy people are not threatened by the opinions or feelings of others. And that's why this is almost like a declaration we need to make. I can listen to your opinions and feelings without hearing them as attacks on mine. I can, I can eye up the ball from my point of view, and then I can go around and see it from yours. It may change something that I'm thinking or something I'm about to say. It may not. But I can take the time to listen. So I'm doing my part. I'm patiently listening. And there's something you need to do while you listen that's very important. And that's number three. Find common ground. Listen for areas that the two of you agree. You want to bring the temperature down in a conversation? Listen to where you agree. Years ago, uh, we had... uh, a young man who was being ordained at our church. And so we went into the conference room and had all these ordained pastors around the table. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with an ordination, it's simply uh, pastors questioning for hours on theology and scripture, uh, the one seeking to be ordained. And so a young man sat at the end of the table and the questions were coming at him. When one pastor asked the question, can you tell me the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism? If you're new to the church and you've never heard those terms before, it just answers the big theological question, did God choose me or did I choose God? We don't have time to get into that today. That's a whole nother message. But for 15 minutes, this young man explained because he had studied and he had prepared and he knew the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism and he laid it out wonderfully. But then one old pastor around the table, this guy was probably like 50, 55 years old. uh, He asked one of the best questions. I've never heard it before or since at an ordination. He asked the young man, you've really spelled out the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. Could you share a few points where they agree? Silence. Had nothing to say. And then I, at the other end of the table, I looked around and I said, hey, that's a great question. Why doesn't someone from around the table answer that question and share a few points of where those two agree? And like uh, a tourist in Branson at a show not wanting to be picked as a volunteer to go on stage, everybody went, look down. They were not engaging. Why? Because you and I do a great job of listing out our differences. That's like the first place we go to. And it didn't even dawn on this young man to find areas that they have in common. I love sharing that story because here's what Paul says in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. You know who he's talking to here? He's talking to mature believers and asking mature believers to build up the weaker brother or sister in Christ. Who in here has walked with the Lord for more than 25 years? Can I see your hand? Okay. These are the brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that I should be able to go to and know in conversations they're going to be helpful. They're going to benefit me. They're going to look to my needs. They're going to care for me. 
They're going to speak what leads to peace and to mutual edification. But some of you know in the last few years, right, it's been grandma and grandpa around the table that you bring up anything going on in our country, and it's... (laughs) Grandma and grandpa, I want to remind you, this is probably your greatest season of influence in your life. Your children and your grandchildren are listening. They want that, that godly grandma and grandpa to speak blessing and life over them. Be one who speaks with peace and be one who speaks with mutual edification. So you find common ground. What's that going to do in the conversation? If you enter into a heated conversation and you start by owning what you're going to do, you, you listen patiently, and then the first thing that comes out of your mouth, because you're answering after you listen, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is something the two of you agree on. We don't even look for it. But if we start looking for it, it'll move us to number four. Number four, a little more detailed. Say the right words in the right tone at the right time. And some of you may have something that's super helpful. You have a great attitude, posture, your nonverbals are non-defensive, and you're ready to go. And so you got the right tone, but it's just not the right time. For Amy and I, we do not have heavy, deep conversations after 9 p.m. at night. It's, not, it's just not the right time. We're morning people, so she's up usually 30 minutes before me, and I come out there, and she is rocking back and forth with her yellow pad, and, and there's, there's notes. There's agenda items. And she'll say, don't worry about taking notes. We're going to start with the minutes from yesterday's meeting, and all of this will be an email for today's meeting. And then that's, that's how our life, but we've got more energy for it, and we can get into the more difficult, challenging conversations because it's the right time. Look at what the scripture says, Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. You've heard this before, but you never know what the person you're talking to is going through. You never have the complete story. You don't know what's happening at home. You don't know what's happening at work. You don't know what was just said to them. And a lot of times when they're dealing with that anxiety, we even sang about speaking Jesus over our anxiety today, you get to be the one to speak a word to help cheer that person up and to take a little, want to be helpful in a conversation, to cheer that person up using kind words rather than Proverbs 12, 18, talking about the reckless words that are destructive. No, that's not the tongue we want as followers of Jesus. The tongue of the wise brings healing. We want to speak words that are gracious like that honeycomb. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So now it's not just what we're saying, but the way in which we deliver it. Once I was leaving the house and Corinne goes, Dad, I got to say something to you. And I go, hey, I'm kind of in a hurry. Speak fast. And she said, I'll wait until you can listen slow. And I, don't you love, there's always a couple of Baptist judgment moves in that. Mm. Can't believe he said that. We've all been there where we know that when we meet the person with their tone, right, that tends to keep the temperature running hot. But when we meet the person who may be here with that gentle response, it says what? It turns away wrath. But the harsh word, the reckless words, that stirs up anger. That keeps the temperature hot. That keeps the anger going. That keeps putting those logs on the fire of the quarrel or whatever the dispute is over. Proverbs 15, 23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word that we would have the right words, the right tone at the right time. But what about those times where you're listening, you hear the other person's point of view, it's a heated conversation and you realize this is a good time to say nothing. 
And that's why the last sign I'm going to show you for the day, I need a speed bump between my brain and my mouth. And point number five is one of my favorite country songs of all time. You say it best when you say nothing at all. And there are times, I just want to give you permission to do this. I don't think people realize this. Do you know you can scroll on your social media feed without stopping and making one comment? You know that's possible. Some of you have done it in this service. You've been scrolling. You saw something that made you mad. And you're like, it's rude to type during the service. But when I get out there, this person's going to get a piece of my mind. You can go right past it and say nothing. A lot of times people hear this and like, well, then I'm complicit. I'm not standing on truth. No, no, no. Don't go there. You know you don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. You can keep scrolling and just not give it another ounce of your emotional energy. Now, the scripture says it this way. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. This, I always think about the 80-year-old sitting on the bench at the Branson Landing waiting for his wife to come out of the store. I, I, I just can't wait, and if the Lord allows me to live to 80, to be sitting on that bench, and I say hi to the guy, and they don't even use words anymore. He just looks at me and goes, like, what a great place to live, right? What a wonder. Now, let me tell you how not to use this. Some of you are going to maybe leave here today, and in the next couple of days, you're going to get into conflict with your wife. And you're going to disagree with something, and, and you're going to bite your tongue, and you're going to let her know you're biting your tongue. And you're going to go, oh, whew. if this would have happened last week, I would have went off, and I would have said this, but that message and the Lord working in my life, I'm holding my tongue. You just missed the whole point. That's not using words with restraint. Using words with restraint just says, I don't need to show up to this right now. Use words with restraint. Whoever has understanding is even tempered. I get into conflict quite often with my counseling friends over this next one. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And if you've been to counseling or therapy, you know there are those who avoid conflict. And I've always been intrigued by that because I've had counselor friends tell me, Ted, when Amy wants to discuss something and you disagree with her, you'll back out of it because you want to avoid conflict. And I always love to ask him this question. What is the difference between honoring my wife and avoiding conflict? Because right, we know healthy couples conflict. In healthy relationships, you have conflict and then you learn how to reconcile. That's part of it. But the scripture says it is actually an honor for you to know this could be a real bad quarrel, but I've decided I'm not going to let it be. I've decided I'm not going to engage. And it's not that I'm avoiding it for the point of being destructive in my marriage or in the relationship, and I don't ever want to talk about it. Now I'm going back to the, is this the right words at the right time? Is it the right words with the right tone at the right time? I am avoiding strife. I don't want to be that quarrelsome person that the scripture tells you have nothing to do with. It is okay for you to say, I do not need to engage at this moment. Now, the last two are the ones the Lord has truly been working on in my life uh, over the last few years. Because we live in a time where everybody is so easily offended, quickly offended, provoked in their spirits, just angry at nothing sometimes. Uh, we need to understand this from the scripture. Be okay with being offended, but never be okay with being unloving. Be okay with someone doing a, an offense to you or wronging you in some way, 
And oftentimes somebody's going to wrong you and you don't have anything to do with it. Like you can't control what someone else is doing to you. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But you know what I have 100% control over? Whether or not I'm going to be a loving person. That's 100% on me. And the Apostle Paul asked two great questions that we all need to ask ourselves in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. And these are two of the best questions to ask yourself when offended. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You know what he's saying? It is better to be wronged than to be unloving. It is better to be cheated than to be unloving. It is better to suffer injustice than to be unloving. It is better to be offended than to be unloving. Something I've seen a lot in counseling over the last couple of years, and and I just want to put this statement out there for, for you to allow the Lord to work it in your own life, because I know we have Google, we have social media and all of that. Listen, podcast, books, and therapy are good for you but they do not qualify you to diagnose family members and friends. They don't look at the guys laughing because some of you don't. I, I talk to people, I'm like, man, who told you you're married to a narcissist and who told you, you know, that you have PTSD, my roommate? That's why I told my son is going to college in two weeks. I go, hey, just I want to warn you, Carson, because I don't know who's moving on to your hall. Don't allow any single person, not one person on your hall to diagnose anything in you. If they see something that maybe is something they were told in therapy or something they read in a book, they can share and encourage you in a direction, but don't allow anyone to diagnose you because here's the next step. You may be 0% to blame for what happened to you, but you are 100% responsible for your healing and treatment of others, period. Too many people today are like, I was wronged, I was cheated, I suffered this injustice. And now I can, I can abuse people. I can treat people however I want. That's just not, that's not true for the follower of Jesus. Again, you're not to blame. And we have a very difficult time right now with this whole blame versus responsibility. You may not be to blame, but you are responsible for what you do moving forward. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? And now Jesus is going to take us to where we need to clearly land this plane. I'm taking my part. I'm listening first. I'm finding common ground. I'm trying to find the right healing, gracious words to deliver in the right tone at the right time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask the Lord to let me know when I just need to, I wanna post a guard at my mouth so I don't say anything. And then if I am offended, wronged or cheated that I had nothing to do with, I still am going to take 100% responsibility for what I do coming out of that. And I'm not going to allow the world or anything that takes place in my life to make me an unloving individual. And Jesus tells us, it's all in the heart, right? We're, we've took a lot of tools away today and things we can do to lower the temperature in conversations. But I want to encourage you to go one step more. I want you to go deeper in this because The opinions, the feelings, the point of view, it all flows from the heart. And before you go and give somebody a piece of your mind, you spend time with the Lord and examining your heart. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? And Jesus starts by asking a question that's really a biology lesson. 
Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But look at this. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. This is where your relationship with the Lord resides. This is where your relationship with others. This is where intimacy resides. It's not in the the words that come out of your mouth. It's in the heart. And every word you speak has a story attached to it. Every point of view you have, the way you're going to vote next year, all of it has a story attached to it. Because that's how the heart works. Jesus goes on to say, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, Facebook and Twitter false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. If every conversation you enter into or every conversation you initiate is quarrelsome, is combative, and it's I've got to fix this person and change their point of view, whether you're a parent, a spouse, a leader at work, a coworker, even just in the neighborhood, if you find, why am I so combative? Today is the day for you to take a deep look inside and ask the Holy Spirit to call you by name and convict you for what's going on in the heart. Because if you want to change what's coming out here, it starts here. There's a lady in our church who is very strong, very strong lady with very strong opinions And she usually catches me three minutes before every service to share those opinions, staff as well. And she's just really strong. And I don't know where I was uh, a couple of months ago, but I don't know if you know this, but in the lobby, and many of you have experienced this here at Battle Creek, you can go from this conversation comforting someone who just lost a family member to this conversation, someone just lost a job, someone here is filing for bankruptcy, moving over to here. You're celebrating now someone who just found out they're pregnant. I mean, this, yeah, this can all happen in five to ten minutes, so it's an emotional roller coaster. And I don't know where I was this day where she came up and started going at me again with opinions and her point of view. And I said something snarky, a snarky joke to her. Because I believe if you wrap everything in sarcasm, it makes everything better. And she joked with me, I joked with her, and then I walked off. The very next week, she came up to me. And she said, Pastor, can I talk to you for a second? I said, absolutely. And I'm ready for just another, whew, just heated conversation about whatever the subject is of the day. And she said, I never want anything to be between me and my pastor. She said, and last week, I know you were joking and I was joking with you and we were going back and forth, but you said something that my dad said to me growing up and I heard it all over again. I'm going to clean it up for you. But she goes, I basically heard from my dad growing up all the time. You are a piece of crap. And she goes, when I heard a similar statement about my personality and what was going on come out, I heard my dad again. I heard my first husband again. And Ted, I never want anything to be between us. And I, I think we got to get back to this as a church, right, too. I confessed before. I said, I repent. I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? Church, we got to get back to doing that a little bit more, too, where we confess our sins one to another and apologize and say words that can be very difficult. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Ask for forgiveness. Don't demand it. And she started sharing more of her story. I've never ever experienced this woman in this way where she was sharing stories after stories and it was coming from the heart and I I told her after a little bit I said this might not be the time for like a life lesson but I just want to point something out to you that I'm seeing I said 
I've never heard this from you, and I, I know the staff hasn't as well, and what I'm getting right now is a piece of your heart. All I've ever received from you is a piece of your mind. And I said, this is completely changing the way I view you and the way I talk to you and the way our conversations are going to go. And I can tell you months later, when I see her coming, I, those stories are the first thing that pop into my mind. It does change us. And this is why these heated conversations that we get into, we exchange words, opinions, point of view. But I, I want to encourage you, get to the story. Get to the heart. Why are you so angry? Why are you so combative? What happened? What's going on? Who hurt you? Right? That's what it means, follower of Jesus, to be helpful, building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. It's not about us and winning an argument. Maybe this is the time for us to dig in and find out what's really going on and do ministry as it flows from the heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Get into the hearts of your children this week, the heart of your spouse this week, the heart of your coworkers this week, the heart of strangers. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Battle Creek. I pray for Woodland Hills. I pray for uh, friends and family around the country today. Uh, we all understand heated conversations, and we want to bring to that a redeemed mouth, a life-giving word, a gracious word with the right timing, the right tone. I pray for marriages to find healing, for parents and children in their relationship to find healing, for church members, one with another, to find healing, for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that he has been raised from the dead, that they will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Make us life-giving this week. Give us life-giving words that benefit and are helpful to others, building them up according to their needs. We pray this in the authority of the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, amen. Love you, Battle Creek. Thank you.